Good morning. All right. This morning we are finishing up our series, Open House. This is now part six. It's the final one. This is the grand finale of our series. If you are new and this is your very first time, um, you don't have to worry. I could imagine you might go, oh, I walked in on part six of something. I'm not even going to understand what that guy's talking about. And I just want you to know, I think you should be able to understand what we are talking about just fine, even if this is the first time you've ever been to our church. However, um, you may not be as excited about what we're going to talk about as the rest of the people who've been here the past few weeks, because we've sort of been building up to this, to this moment. Um, so week one of this series, we talked about the mission or the vision of our church, and that is that we exist to glorify God by loving God, loving each other, and loving people who don't know God yet. The second week of the series, we talked about the values of our church, gospel centrality, Christian community, consideration for outsiders, simplicity, every member is a minister, and going from lost to leader. Uh, week three, Doug came up here and talked about the importance of groups, and he said, you need Christian community, and Christian community needs you. Then uh, two weeks ago, which was week four of the series, we drilled down more on the topic of every member is a minister with a sermon we said could have been titled, congratulations, you work here. Remember that? And then last week, Doug talked about being Christ's ambassadors and connected it to a push for volunteers at two camps that our church sponsors. They are camps for kids that are in foster care, and they are a summer missions trip that we do as a church every year. And so we talked about that last week. And so today, we now finish up the series. This is the final week, and it's titled, Let's Keep Going. This morning, I want to invite any like, newcomers to our church to join us in our mission and I wanted to encourage those of you who are long-timers, let's keep going. Let's stay on mission. And so the verse that I wanted to begin with today is Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. All right? Matthew 16, 18 is one verse. It's one sentence. It's in the middle of a conversation. Um, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's particularly talking to Peter in this verse. And this verse is kind of, um, I don't know, people... Christians over the years have disagreed as to what it means, and nonetheless, it is a very, very famous verse. This is a very famous thing that Jesus said. So I'm going to read it to you. Um, right in the middle of talking to Peter, this is what Jesus says. You've probably heard this before if you kind of grew up in church. Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Have you heard it before? Yes, this is really common, really common Bible verse, okay? So he says to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I want to, I want to mostly focus on the second half of the verse, but let's talk a little bit about the first half of the verse since it's there, okay? So he says, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. So Jesus here is referring to some sort of rock. He's saying, I am going to build my church and I'm going to build it on some kind of rock. What rock is he referring to? Um, there are some people who think he's referring to himself, I am, that he is the rock that the church will be built on. There are some people who think he's referring to the, the confession that Peter had just made. So again, this is in the middle of a conversation. Just before this, two verses earlier, Peter had said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so some people think he was saying, that's the rock, like that, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. On that rock, I will build my church. There's some people think that this is referring to the, the geography that he was at, that the particular place that they were at was known as a place where nearby were the gates of Hades. And he was saying, I'm going to start my church right here on this rock, meaning the place where he was. But I would say probably the majority, like the, the most people I think, I think the majority opinion on this is that it's a play on words with Peter's name. 
So he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter's name means rock, okay? So you, like back then, just like now, some people had names that were also words, right? Like Grace and Summer and Clay, right? They had like that too. So Peter's name is the word for rock. Um, it's actually still like the Greek word. The Greek word for Peter is, is the word that would mean rock. And we still use forms of that word to this day. Like if you've ever heard of a, a petrified forest, why do we call it petrified? Because it turned to rock, right? The, the wood turned to stone. So he's saying, hey, you are rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. It was a slightly different word in Greek for the word rock the second time. But I think a lot of people would say, no, this seems to be a play on words that he's saying, Peter, you are the one who is like the, the leader or the spokesman of the apostles. And the apostles are going to play a foundational role in the founding of the church. So then he says this. And this is the part I really want to focus on, the second part of the verse. He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that word hell is a translation of a, of a Greek word named Hades, okay? Um, it's not the normal word for hell. For those of you who were here back in November, remember, um, remember Doug Davison preached a series called Heaven, Yes, Hell, No? And so he, that one, I, if I remember correctly, when he talked about hell, he talked about the word that we, our word hell that is translated from the word Gehenna. Okay, Gehenna is, I think, your more typical word for hell in the New Testament, like a fiery place of judgment after this life. That's not the word here that's translated into the word hell. This is the word Hades. Hades is a word that is a more generic word that is more like the realm of the dead. Okay, so not so much the fiery place of judgment, just but the, we're, like the realm of the dead. And so Jesus said, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades, the domain of death, right, will not prevail against the church. And so when I was growing up, this, I don't know for sure, but it seems like most of the time that this verse was quoted, the context in which it was quoted, the thing that the person was trying to communicate was basically, here's Satan, and Satan has his minions, and, they, and, and his minions and Satan are attacking us, okay? We're the church, we're God's people, and Satan comes, and Satan's attacking us, and we are defending ourselves, and there's a sense in which we are invincible because of Jesus, right? Satan's gonna come, Satan's gonna attack us, but the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, right? As Satan and his cronies launch their arrows and attack us, we will be able to withstand, we will be able to defend against their attack because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I feel like I heard that over and over and over again. I assume that's what the verse meant. And then I came across a different interpretation of this verse. Someone pointed out to me, I'm going to read it to you, that um, gates are a defensive device, not an offensive device. And once you realize that, you start to think, well, wait a minute, is this, is this really Satan? He's going to come get us with his gates? Is that what this is? The gates of hell when I, Satan comes and he's got a gate and he's like, I'm going to get you. I've got a gate. So, so let me go ahead and read to you. This is a book called The Intentional Church. It's written by um, a pastor in Atlanta um, named Randy Pope. And I wanted to read to you. I think this is the first time I came across this idea. So Randy Pope says this. This is page 25 of his book. He's talking about this passage, um, the gates of hell shall not, or the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And this is what he says. He says, notice, however, the picture Jesus actually presented in this statement. The gates are a fixed place. They withstand or splinter under the pounding of the battering ram. Jesus was describing a city under assault. He foresaw his church attacking and laying siege to Satan's stronghold. He promised that he and his church would eventually breach the gates of Hades. So why is it that our teaching about the reality of spiritual warfare too often pictures the church under siege 
rather than the church arrayed and battering down the defenses of Satan? Why do we see ourselves in a defensive posture, holding out under attack rather than an army in full counterattack mode? Do you see what he's saying? Yeah, so if gates are defensive, then this may be Jesus picturing not them, us getting attacked and the gates of hell won't prevail. This, this is picturing Jesus and the church perhaps as the attackers who are busting down those gates and rescuing people out of there, out of the gates of death. So I, I love that. I love that idea. What a powerful picture of our job as Christ's church. But I also have become aware that not everybody interprets this verse this way, okay? Some might say, and I think there are scholars, I think I read this in a book this week, in fact, that the, the gates of Hades is a phrase that back then would have simply meant death. And so Jesus was saying, I'm going to build my church and death will not stop me, right? In other words, that what this was really was Jesus was mostly just um, predicting his resurrection here. He's saying, I'm on a mission. I'm going to build my church and even the gates of Hades will not stop me. Even death will not stop me. When, when I die, I will come back to life, right? Death will not be able to stop the mission that I'm on. Well, if that's what it means, that would be a way less aggressive image of Jesus and his church, like busting down the gates of hell, right? So what do we do? Like, which one is it, right? What do we do when we have a, a, an interpretation of a Bible verse that we like, but we're not sure of, okay? Have you ever had this? What do you do when you have an interpretation of Bible verse that you're like, I, I hope it means that, but you don't know for sure, right? I can tell you what a lot of Christians I know do. I know that they go, okay, it could mean this, it could mean this, okay, but I really want it to mean this. So it means this, okay? <laughs> have you ever seen that? Have you ever done that? Be, I mean, be honest, you're in a church building, you might as well. So that's what we do. We go, man, there's this one, there's this one. Man, I hope it means this. In fact, it's got to mean this because this is the one I like. So it's got to be this. And I believe that that is a bad way to interpret scripture because it puts us in authority over it instead of God in authority over us. When we come across and go, well, it could mean this, could mean, well, I'm going to, it's got to mean what I want it to mean. That's you being the authority rather than saying, no, what is it that he was saying? I want to submit to whatever it means. So for the rest of this sermon... I'm going to show you some of my work, um, like a math teacher does. You know how the math teacher doesn't just say the answer is 17, right? She shows you how she got to 17. I would like this morning, and it's going to take more words to do it, just like if the math teacher takes a bunch of time to show you how she got to 17. It takes more words, but I think it's going to be worth it. I want to show you what I do in order to draw conclusions from Scripture. Because there may be some of you, you read your Bible and you go, yeah, I never know what it means. I don't even know. That's why I go to church here. You tell me what it means. I can't figure out what it means. Um, but I want to show you what I do. It's, it's the, same re the same reason the math teacher does it, because she wants you to be able to go home and figure out 17 without her, right? And so I'm, gonna, I'm hoping I can model for you something this morning that you would then go, oh, I could learn from that, and I could, I could figure out how to draw conclusions from Scripture also. And so that's my plan for this morning. So in this case, I looked at it and went, okay, I don't know for sure. Um, I know what I like, but I don't know for sure. So I tried to think of other passages in the Bible that are on the same or similar topic, okay? When you come across something, you're like, I'm not sure what this means. You look for other passages of scripture that are on the same topic or on a similar topic. And um, what you can do sometimes is if you, come, if you find the thing, that you, I think it means this, if you find other places in the Bible that say the same thing, it, it, that can cause two things to happen. One thing that could happen is it could corroborate 
the, your first interpretation. If you go, I read, read passage number one, I think this is what it means. You read passage number two, and if passage number two says the same thing passage number one says, you might be able to go, okay, I think I was right. I think I was interpreting passage number one correctly. Another thing that you can do in this same kind is sometimes you read passage number two and you still aren't sure what passage number one, if it means this or this. But at least if passage number two says the same thing that you thought passage number one meant, at least you now know that the thing you thought was true, right? Even if the, the original passage you looked up doesn't say it, now that you found one that is clear, you know, well, this is true. The thing I thought was true, even if it wasn't in that page of the Bible, it's on a different page of the Bible and I can know this thing is true. Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to do. So I want to take you to three passages just very quickly that I thought through as I was trying to explain this to you. And I thought, what should I say? So these are the passages I thought of um, or came across. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. This is the first one. We'll just go through these quickly. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. And these two verses are, I hope they sound somewhat familiar to you because I just preached on them. And in fact, um, I am... I'm not going to like explain them fully because we, we just talked about this. Back at Christmas time, we did a series on these verses. So if you want to know more about these Bible verses, feel free to go back to the series that we did back in December and you can see what we said about them. But let me go ahead and remind you of them now. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, by the way, that's the he there, Jesus likewise partook of the same things. So, so we are people who are, are made of flesh and blood, right? We're human beings. And Jesus partook of the same things, meaning Jesus took on flesh and blood, right? That's why we talked about it at Christmas time, because Christmas is the celebration of the time that Jesus came here and took on flesh and blood. Okay, but let's keep reading. So he shared in these flesh and blood, and then what happens? He, so that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now remember, gates of Hades would have been a reference probably to death and the grave. And here we have it. So there's this one who has the power of death. Okay, He's called the devil. And Jesus died on the cross. He came and took on human flesh and then died on the cross, it says, to destroy the one who has the power of death and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So do you see what the image is here? This one's really clear. The devil is there. He has in his hand this thing called death or the power of death, right? And it is like a, a tool, a weapon in his hand that according to the verse, he has been using to terrorize people. He has been using it to subject people to lifelong slavery. Now, according to the verse, what happened? Jesus came here and he died on the cross for what purpose? To destroy that, to, to disarm him, right? It says so that he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That word destroy can be translated like um, annulled or abolished or rendered powerless or disarmed, right? So Jesus comes dies on the cross, and through his death does what? Well, there's, there's the devil with death, and he's got all these slaves of people who are all fear, afraid of death, and Jesus takes care of the problem of death when he died on the cross. And according to this verse, the image is what he did is he died on the cross, and he knocked that weapon out of the devil's hand. Amen. He disarmed him, and then look at the second half of the verse. Not only did he destroy the one who has the power of death, but he delivered, that's a word that means like rescued, right? He delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So we've got the devil with his weapon terrorizing these people. Jesus dies on the cross, disarming him and rescuing the slaves out of there. It sounds a lot like the gates of Hades being breached and people being rescued from it, doesn't it? Let me show you one other one. Colossians chapter one. Love this verse. Colossians chapter one. 
starting in verse 13. Now, in this case, the he is God the Father. That's who's being referred to here. Colossians 1.13 says, he, that's God, has delivered us, again, this concept of like being rescued. He has delivered us from, from where? From the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So in this verse, we see that God is delivering people from one kingdom into another one. Do you see it? I mean, one of the kingdoms isn't called a kingdom, it's called a domain. But I mean, you can see there's two territories here, right? There's the dark one, and there's the kingdom of Jesus. And the verse says that God the Father comes and does what? He rescues people out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus. And I want you to notice that the, the assumption of this verse is that there is no neutral territory. Did you notice? Like, he delivered us from where? Just like, it's, it's, it's like we were all just in one place. It wasn't like he found people from all over. Everybody was in one place, the domain of darkness, right? And then transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It does not say that there were some people who were real bad. And they were part of the domain of darkness. And they have been rescued into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And then there's other people who were like in the like prairies of neither good nor bad. And God also rescued them and put them into the kingdom of the son he loves, right? That's not what it says. There's just two. It says, so everybody was just by default in the domain of darkness, in our sins, going to be judged for our sins. And God the Father rescues people out of there and transfers them into his kingdom. And so looking at these verses, I think we can just safely assume, right? The Lord does rescue people from the devil. The Lord does rescue people from the gates of Hades. He does rescue people from the domain of darkness. So the only question that remains is, do we, the church, play a part in that? Right? Because the original verse was, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So we already have confirmed from the New Testament that the gates of Hades will not prevail against Jesus, right? He's going he's gonna to destroy the devil. He has, through his death, already made it to where the slaves are free, transferred people from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the sun, right? So we know that. We know the Lord does that. Now, are we a part of that? Because the, the original verse that we looked at sounds like the church will not be prevailed against when we go up against the gates of Hades. So is it just simply that Jesus saves people? That's it? Or do we play a part in rescuing people from the realm of death? And I think the New Testament is clear that we're a part of this. I think the New Testament is clear that we are supposed to finish what Jesus started. It, this is, I think, just obvious and implied in the Great Commission when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus made disciples and then told them, now you go do what I did right? And baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I told you to do stuff. Now you go tell people to do stuff. You go do the thing I started. And toward the end of the book of John, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. But I want to show you a verse that is phrased in such an extreme way that I think you will see it and remember it. Because if I say, first of all, if I start off by saying Jesus saves people from the devil, he saves people out of the realm of death, okay, we're like, yes. Then I say, okay, we also are to finish Jesus' mission. We are supposed to save people from death and hell. I think at that point, some people go, um, pastor, that sounds like heresy. We are supposed to save people? No, no, no. Jesus is the one who saves people, okay? We don't save people. Jesus saves people, to which I say, yes, but... 
1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's our final verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is the Apostle Paul. He is talking about himself in this verse and the way he does missionary work. This is also a pretty famous verse. He says this. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might... What's the word? Save some? What? Wait, what? What? Paul was saying that he was going to use every method he could in order to save some people. Did he forget that Jesus is the only Savior? How in the world could he go around and say he's saving people? Did he forget that Jesus is the one who died on the cross? Jesus is the only Savior. Of course not. Of course he didn't forget it, right? He's the reason, he's a a big part of the reason we believe it to this day. Like he's the one that said over and over again stuff that made us go, Jesus is the only one, the one mediator between God and man. Of course Paul didn't forget that. And when you read the verse, especially if you read it with just a little bit of charity, you can tell what he meant, right? Wow, I don't know why I said charity. That's an old word, okay? If you just don't try to take it in the wrong way and you try to say, what do you think he meant? Well, you can tell what he meant, right? By By all means, I might save some. The sense in which Paul was saving people is the sense in which he was telling them to turn to Jesus for salvation, so he said, I could save some. He doesn't mean he died on the cross for their sins. He wasn't the savior. When he, the sense in which he was saving people is that he was telling people to repent and to turn to Jesus and to be saved by him. And we do the same thing. We're supposed to do the same thing. And so I taught you all of those verses this morning so that I could say this next sentence and you would know it was biblical. One of the primary goals of the church of Jesus Christ is to oppose the devil and save people from the gates of Hades, to save people from the domain of darkness. That's the mission. At least that's a big part of the mission that we are on. So I want to show you a video. This video that we're about to show you is a set of interviews that we did with people from this church last week. Um, There are several people in this video. All of the people in this video attend Good News Church regularly. And I would say the the majority of them were people who were not following Jesus when they first showed up here, but are followers of Jesus now. And so I want you to hear their stories. Hey, uh, I'm uh, Chris Baker. I've been coming to Good News for about nine years now. Hi, my name is Sue Rosignol. My name's Dustin Counts. Um, I've come to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. On June 10th, 2021, I decided to give my life to Jesus. And that was the first day in all that time that I didn't want to die. And I haven't wanted to die since. When I was a kid, I never knew much about church. Church was never a part of my upbringing. I don't believe I've been to church prior to coming to Good News more than five times in my entire life. I grew up going to church. I was in a Protestant ministry with my parents when I was a kid. Um, big stone building, typical church, pews. I thought church was an obligatory action 
something I had to do. I thought church was a building and that it was filled with old rules. I thought church was a building that really well put together families went to. Even though I had been exposed to the Bible early on, I don't remember understanding it. I didn't understand religion. I didn't know what the church was. I didn't know really any religion. My whole life was fear. My life was fear. I didn't know um, the birth story. I didn't know resurrection stories. I didn't know Noah um, and the ark. I didn't know these Bible stories that children now know. Before I was a Christian, I thought God was um, pretty much non-existent. Unreal. I thought he was just some mystical being that people talked about and I didn't understand who he was. And then other times they felt he was an angry and mean God. God was too contradictory to what science said. Being a believer in science, I never really took the time though to look into the validity of Jesus Christ as a living God and the historical accuracy of the Gospels. Jesus was another false god just like all the other gods like Greek mythology and stuff like that and there's just a book describing him and like making a fake life for him and stuff like that. I always believed in God um, but I just thought that he didn't really care about what was going on in our lives like it was just more of a he created us he put us here and then like that was it. I never knew the Bible I had to go buy one I didn't even have one. I don't think that I was living my life in a way that is um, like that was pleasing to God. You know, I mean, I wasn't the best person. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's like I did. I go, I went 180 degrees in the other direction. It's like I partied. I was promiscuous, you know. I mean, all the things that you shouldn't have done, I was doing them. And I didn't care. I was following career, money, fame, fortune, all of the above. How I ended up at Good News Church is First, it was strictly just to listen to my granddaughter play. I had no intention whatsoever of making this my church. <laughs> my wife brought me here. Because of my wife. Going to school with someone who went here. And she invited me one day, and I was just like, sure, I'm going to go see how this is. And I ended up really liking it. Uh, Brenda was the first person who told me about Good News Church. And I told her, I don't know church. I need Veggie Tales Church. About eight years ago, I had one of the worst days of my life in that our youngest son passed away on December 3rd in 2014. My oldest son, Matt, was coming here to Good News and had met Pastor Mario. And about a month after that, Matt was baptized here at Good News Church and invited us to come and be a part of that. The way I came to believe in Jesus was by first attending Good News Church. My true buy-in started four years ago. Something happened in me and I realized that I was completely going down the wrong path and I was believing in the wrong things. and realized that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit were what I needed in my life at the time. 
like I was just tired of living in sin and being jealous and having all these negative feelings and I wanted to do something more. His grace is more powerful than anything and when you believe that, when I started to believe that, it made all the difference for me. Two years ago at that point, uh, when I just stopped being so prideful, um, was probably the point like that I actually became a Christian. Yeah, everything's been better since then. What changed was my exposure to who God really is and what Jesus died for so that I could have a personal relationship with Him. I spent several months looking into the validity of Jesus Christ as a person. Um, the biggest piece of evidence I found was actually the speed in which Christianity spread through the region. There was one other question remaining, and that was a very important one for me, and one that I spent even more time going over in my head, and that was, was he a liar, lunatic, or Lord? And I prayed on that question for a long time to God. And one morning, while we were preparing in church for Lord's Supper, I just had this overwhelming urge to ask for forgiveness for my unbelief in Christ. And for the first time that morning, I took the Lord's Supper as a believer of Jesus Christ and accepted Him as my Lord and Savior. But then on November 8th, 2019, our 18-year-old son was killed in a car accident. And my life shattered into a million pieces. And I honestly didn't think there was any way I could ever come back from that. The way I came to Jesus was through a miracle of um, something radically just happened to me. And later it was explained that I was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And I had this eagerness to learn what was happening. Why is this happening? I came to Good News Church because my coworker, Jamie Richards, after my son died, asked me if I wanted to meet with him on our lunch break to talk about God. And I agreed. And after talking to him, he invited me to Good News Church. And my family and I decided to go and we fell in love and we never left after that. I still struggled at this point a great deal with believing. Um, I had so many unanswered questions like, how did life begin? How did the universe begin? I realized after a little while that even if I didn't believe in God, those questions still existed. They weren't answered. I had someone lay hands on me and pray over me, and it was an out-of-this-world experience. I almost thought I was going crazy because I didn't believe um, that miracles could happen. Jesus saved me from the indescribable pain that I thought would never go away in my life. The way I came to believe in Jesus uh, was in 2016, I was pregnant with my son and I had turned to the Women's Pregnancy Center because I had adoption in mind. And a friend there, uh, she wasn't a friend at the time, but she is now, Barb. Um, we had a lot of conversations throughout my pregnancy and there was one day that she invited me over to her house and we talked for about three hours and she told me about Jesus and 
who he was, who he is, and what he did. I had confessed to her that I had like this deep like shame because I had two abortions that I never told anybody. Um, she told me about a post-abortion study class that they had at the Women's Pregnancy Center. Um, she invited me to Good News Church. I thought, am I supposed to do something special? Is there something magical that's supposed to happen? Um, so, you know, looking back, especially that whole weekend, just kind of meditating on his word, um, that's when I realized that that's when it happened. I was uh, really deep into like the sin of sexual immorality at the time. And through like saving me from that, he redeemed a lot of my friendships and relationships. People over time teaching me how to have like healthy and not toxic relationships with friends and other people. The pain was so bad that if I jumped, it all goes away. You asked me, could I imagine myself doing that today? And the answer today is no, because my whole mind is shifted from focus on me to how do we impact other people? By getting into the Word and getting into Bible studies and having a better understanding of the Bible, it really helped me to kind of understand where I kind of fit into God's plan. And God's plan for me isn't to hurt me, it is to help me. And so that's where things have changed from before when I was spiritual to now when I'm a Christian and following Jesus. If someone said to me 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I'll give you a thousand dollars if you go up and pray with them, I'd say, keep your thousand. It ain't happening, baby, it ain't happening. But now it's like, I want people to know. Today I have employees coming up to me and asking me to pray with them. Five years ago, that never would have been even something I would remotely have done. It's the priorities have shifted because my approach to life has shifted. So I just started praying more and more and more um, that God would use me in a way that He found pleasing and then literally everything in my life got better. Number one, I find that I'm happier. It's, I have a lot more patience than I used to have. I don't do the nasty things I did. I, I mean, I was a partying fool. One of my favorite things about the gospel is my shortcomings are no longer defining me. I'm not defined by my past. I'm defined by my Savior. Jesus saved me from all my sin and I finally, I can now tell that I'm not gonna go to hell and I'm gonna go to heaven. He made me uh, the daughter of the one true king. I don't live for work. I'm a, a million times better dad. I'm wearing a new pair of glasses now. I see, I see everything through what am I called to do as a Christian? How am, I, how am I called to act and live my life? I got baptized because, well, I wanted to tell everybody around me that I'm one of them and they're now my brothers and sisters. Finding Good News Church or being introduced to Good News Church was a blessing. It took Bartow reaching out to me to make me feel like I was a part of something. Through this time, which has been several years, there's been many talks with people here in their homes at their dinner table. We can't even track the hours that they've spent answering my questions 
and never judging me, never condemning me, never looking down on me. They always did so with patience and kindness and love. And that was one thing that made it feel so welcoming here at Good News. I didn't grow up with a lot of love and I just felt very loved and welcomed in the church. Listening to the music uh, that Kenan would lead us in, um, I realized that God was slowly healing my heart. In Kidzone you get to learn all the, like, just a simple version of all the, like, Bible stories. I'm in an accountability group with uh, four other men that if I come up on something I'm struggling with, I've got guys I can talk to. The members of my community group, you know, there's a bunch of guys and we do things together and and we have like minds and, you know, they have helped me and shown me what, again, a righteous man should look like and can look like. I got very close. I think I attached to Joy and Terry because they just seemed never to judge me. The biggest influences in my life has been Kelly Roberts, the DeHart family, and Mario and his family. Brenda was the first person who told me about Good News Church, and I am very thankful for that. The first one would be Barb, because she brought me here. Um, Heidi Valella would also be another one. <laughs> There's so many. Um, Lance Powers, because you know he brought me to the community group. Jeremy Richards was the number one person that started this ball rolling for me at this church. And then his wife, Amanda, um, also helped with discipleship with me as well, which has been a big factor in my believing in God and Jesus. Miss Heidi, the Davidson family. My wife, number one, Dee Hyatt, Ian Burns. Ashley and Tony Herrera. Bartow McDonald. People who've been here for a long time, I've, well, I'd like to say thank you for helping me. If you're new at Good News Church, get engaged. You only get out of it what you put into it. If you're a kid, you should, um, like actually, it is really good if you actually pay attention in class because it actually helps you in, when you're a Christian. I would say it's very important not to become complacent and underestimate the difference that Jesus can make in someone's life. Even this very church can make in someone's life. It saved mine, and there are plenty of other lives that need saving. Amen. Uh, that video represents some of what Jesus has done here over the past several years. There are some of you in this room that may be watching that and go like, well, I could have been one of those people on that video and maybe we didn't know. Um, there may be some of you that might go, I could have been one of the people mentioned that video. Like those kinds of stories have happened around me. They just weren't on that particular video. But that's some of what Jesus has done here over the last several years and we're a part of that. And we must continue to be a part of that. We are to save some. We are to cooperate with God's mission to rescue people from the domain of darkness. And it's already been happening. And so this morning, I just wanted to say, let's keep going. Amen. Who's in? Let's pray.
God, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you've done that we see in that video and the things we've done that, that people in this room don't even know about. I thank you in advance for whatever's coming up in the next five, ten years. But I pray that you would shape us into a congregation who are in when it comes to your mission. That we would finish what you've started and we would, you would use us as a little piece. You're the Savior. But that you would use us as a little piece of saving people from the donating in darkness so that they may be a part of your kingdom. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.